Art Palace is sponsored by PNC Bank. Coming up on Art Palace. Yeah, it's a mythology that was created centuries ago, centuries ago, and yet we're still all uh, snared and trapped in it. Welcome to Art Palace, produced by Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Eyrig. Here at the Art Palace, we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. Today's cool people are Sianna Rouse and Trudy Gaba, co-curators for the special exhibition, Kara Walker, Cut to the Quick. Um, my name is Trudy Gaba. I am the site curator here in Cincinnati for the Kerouac or Cut to the Quick exhibition. And I also work full time at the museum as the curatorial assistant for South Asian art, Islamic art, and antiquities. Hello, I'm Sianna Rouse, and I am a poet based in Nashville, Tennessee, and guest curator for Kerouac or Cut to the Quick. I'm just kind of curious. I'll start with you, Trudy. How did you get involved with this exhibition? So I remember in like various curatorial meetings um, early on in the year, we heard rumblings of the Kara Walker exhibition and um, seeing if it could align with our exhibition calendar and, and take it on. And then when it finally realized or when we finally realized it was possible and it was happening and we had dates and Siano was on board, I I wanted to to have some involvement in, you know, its reception here in Cincinnati. And I went to um, our department head, as well as uh, Cameron Kitchen, the director, and and asked if this was a project where I could lead. And how about uh, you, Sianna? How, how, what, how did you get involved in this exhibition? As I was saying, I'm a poet and I'm based in Nashville, Tennessee. And so the Frist Art Museum in Nashville organized this exhibition with the Jordan D. Schnitzer Foundation. And so Susan Edwards, who's the CEO and director at the Frist, was the curator for this exhibition. And in that process, she realized that being a part of Kara Walker's work is to experience poetry, visual poetry, and wanted to have a poetic voice as a part of uh, curating the exhibition. I had done a lot of events and a lot of work with artists in the past at First Art Museum. Uh, but this was my first time being a curator when she asked if I would join her in organizing this exhibition. And so I was co-curator there. And when Cameron Kitchen came and checked out the exhibition in Nashville, we began talking and he invited me to be guest curator here. And it has been so incredible to work with Trudy and her knowledge and uh, experience the exhibition a second time, but in a new city. Tell me more about that poetic connection to the work and, and how do you think Kara's work is, we're, we're first name basis, Kara and I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> oh, Kara. How do you, how do you think, how, how do you think the work feels poetic to you? So whenever I'm teaching poetry with students, Often, actually, I'm bringing in art because poetry and art are so related to one another. Uh, but specifically with Walker's work, whenever I'm viewing it, I believe that you have to pause, be still with it, 
see it again, walk away, see it again, walk away, see it again. And when I'm talking to students about reading a poem, it's really the same way, that you are more still with it, you go into it, you move out of it, you ask questions of the poem, uh, hopefully the poem is asking questions of you, and that is what Gera Walker's work is doing for everyone. It is asking questions, and we ask questions of it. And so, really, the, the experience with a poem and the experience with her work are so similar. You know, we, we've talked a lot about poetry and how it shakes something inside of you um, that's always been there, but it, it kind of brings it to consciousness. And that's what Walker's work does. That's how it functions and operates. Um, once you view it, you know, it, it takes a hold of you and it doesn't let go. And I think that unrelenting aspect of, of you know, this exhibition, you know, going through every gallery, it's, you have those moments and it's a constant, constant, like, not a not an attack, but you just feel this like grab this this tension between all of the feelings that you you're experiencing and and they're extreme. So I think that interplay and um, kind of tension between the power and the beauty, the helplessness, the sorrow, the trauma, but the joy and the uplifting aspects and the triumph, those that interplay and that tension it creates grabs you with every art i feel i feel weird talking about poetry anytime because i don't know anything about poetry so i don't feel like i should probably make grand statements about it but i think to me when i i why i think this work is um has a great connection to poetry is i think both get a lot of their power from ambiguity yeah and like not giving you all the answers and like and and making you make a lot of connections you know like to me that's like the difference between poetry and prose is like there's room for you to sort of get in there and play around and this work is i mean one of the things that makes it so exciting to me is that it's it's not always clear what is happening what is being said how i'm supposed to feel about it um and it definitely asks as many questions <laughs> to us as we ask to it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't give a lot of answers, I feel like, either. Right. Mm-hmm. No. I mean, I think you are ready to talk about poetry in a grand yes. way. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That is it. That is it. <laughs> yeah. And, I'm, you know, I think that's, we talk often about how that may be a place of discomfort p- for people because we do live in a society that likes to have answers, that likes mm-hmm. everything to be black and white and not in the gray. What an irony that so much of the work in here is black and white, but it's not. (laughs) Right, right. Literally black and white. Right, literally black and white. But again, it's operating in so much gray. And I think it's because of Walker's bravery in also asking herself hard questions and wrestling with hard things. And again, that's what a poet is approaching the page with some bravery and willing to interrogate themselves. Well, yeah, even like the... the, talking about the black and white and the starkness and the silhouettes that she's sort of so famous for. I mean, part of like what they do is again, they don't give you all the information. Like the, the point of them is that you don't have all of the information. And so there's this like interesting thing that's happening where they're incredibly precise on one level. Like they're, you know, you see all these little details, but then at the same time, there are points where you're like, wait, what am I seeing here? Is Mm -hmm. this, 
you know, a lot of times there's overlapping of objects and they become this just one shape and you're not sure what am I seeing? Am I seeing what I think I'm seeing? Because what I'm seeing is kind of disturbing. Um, right. Yeah, she's definitely drawing on the the visitor and the viewer to participate as both, you know, an observer, but she also flips it so that with that ambiguity, you are then forced to kind of extend that narrative and fill in the, the spaces and the gaps and the pauses um, with your own impressions your own experiences in how you view and see the lens of this world and then even hopefully that gets flipped on its head right and if you think about it she's so often working with stereotypes and uh again we try to make stereotypes very simple and black and white and oh i i see you and that's who you are and that's i can put you in a box uh, but one of the things that i love is we were looking at i'll be a monkey's uncle that piece the other day and I thought, uh, doesn't he look like he's afraid? And then I looked at it again. Or maybe he's happy. You know, like you just you don't know because you don't get the expressions yeah. that you would in a, mm -hmm. in a figure. Um, and so you're having to keep trying to figure out who that person is and, and look closer instead of, or in this case, it was a monkey person. <laughs> but you're you're looking closer and asking more questions. Or sometimes a figure might look like it's, running in one direction but then if you look at the feet mm. they're turned in the opposite direction or they're falling one way but and you think they're looking you're looking at their the front of their bodies but then all of a sudden you can look at the knees and think oh maybe i'm looking at the back of their body and what if we did that with each other instead of just putting each other in boxes but said oh let me be let you be more nuanced let me look at ways that you're moving and being in the world as opposed to just looking at your silhouette. There's a great quote that, you know, it's painted on the wall here where she says she's not a historian, but an unreliable narrator. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wondered what you thought that mean, what that means mm -hmm. uh, as an artist to be an unreliable narrator. I mean, aren't we all? I mean, <laughs> in the way we, we tell our own histories, it's from our perspective. So it's true to us. But you know, we can be in the same room experiencing the exact same um, scenario, but your reading of it is going to be completely different from my reading of it. So when we, I feel like, engage in the, the, the storytelling, you know, I might not agree with how you're seeing things, your perspective, even though we're in this moment together. Um, and I think that's that says a lot about history as well. That's from someone's unique perspective. So it is a shade of gray, mm -hmm. you know? So where do you find that truth when, you know, everyone has a different unique lens through how they view and see the world? Yeah, and in many ways too, Walker is so narrative in her work, but she's working with fiction, even though she's working with history. And so I think that's her way of reminding everyone this didn't, this happened, but it didn't right. happen exactly this way necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, and just to remember that as you're in this, that she's just like any fiction writer would, you, you pull on history, you pull on truths, and then you create a story around it. And sometimes that might be a better way to enter into a story instead of just trying to decide that the author of it is 
telling the truth just exactly the way that it mm. happened. Um, so yeah, I mean, I will make myself the hero of every story <laughs> if I get a chance <laughs> to tell it, right? And even in my poems, I have teachers that constantly push me to, again, interrogate myself and not just make myself the hero of, of my own history. And, and Walker says that quite a bit, that she's always wrestling with the female figure being the heroine, uh, as well as, I mean, not, she likes to kind of kill the heroine in it and, and yeah. also, uh, recognize that I think she says this woman can be a queen and a whore, you know, yeah. and, which one of those is the heroine in mm -hmm. that situation? I don't know. <laughs> right. And we talked a lot about that when we were looking at Fawn's Americanus and looking at uh, the Venus figure at, at the top, you know. And I've seen that that piece from many angles. And it wasn't until it was physically in the gallery that I noticed that her throat is slashed. Oh. Uh, but she right. is in this very graceful pose. Yeah. And there's beauty. And there, she looks sublime and serene. And then when you look closer, you see, you know, that would have had water spurring from her neck in the original fountain um, mm -hmm. that Kara created at the, at the Tate Modern. Um, so, again, that kind of comp like that complex aspect of a protagonist that right. you want to be the hero, but she's also a victim. Um, and you see the beauty at the same time as you see something very horrific. And mm. I, I like to call that like the Walker paradox. For like sure. you, you see beauty and uh, trauma and pain holding the same space at the same time. And I, I think that's one of my, um, one of the most meaningful connections I've had to this exhibition is, is that you see the whole range of the human condition on display. And sometimes within the same print. Yeah. Yeah. And just when you look and see something traumatic, uh, you recognize resilience, right, out mm -hmm. of that. But then just when you see something victorious, you're again yeah. reminded of the trauma. Well, I thought we could take some time and maybe just look at a few pieces that you maybe are some of your favorites. <laughs> and so... Um, so we can, we're not going to obviously have enough time to go by piece by piece in this exhibition because there's so many works in it. Um, but I thought we'd just highlight a, maybe a couple or, you know, whatever yeah. we have time for. So I don't know who wants to, who wants to go first. Well, or... it happened to be in the physical space of our two Both favorite pieces. Oh, really? So oh, that's uh, this convenient. worked out beautifully. Yeah. It did, it did. So this one, and, and, and it is the one sketch we have in the entire exhibition, and it is of a hanging. Uh, there are three bodies that are hanging from a tree. As a writer, I actually often write about trees and especially thinking about the ways that they've had to be executioners uh, against their will, right? Perhaps they didn't ask to do that. Mm -hmm. But in American history, we made them. Uh, people made them be that. And so I'm really drawn into the fact that you're viewing this from the perspective of the tree. Uh, as opposed to where we usually see those photographs where uh, white people have gathered in glee watching a black body hanging. Uh, instead, we're viewing it from the perspective of the tree. And we're also seeing a young girl reaching for these bodies. Uh, and one thing you might think is, oh, should that girl be there in that moment? But really, those bodies shouldn't be there in that moment, right? Um, 
that's the most shocking and terrible thing. And then to see the scroll reaching, there's this grief that you feel there. Uh, and it has also placed perhaps the family members, uh, the, the young black children of these victims right into our frame in a way that you don't see when we're usually seeing photos of lynchings. And I just picture her, uh, creating this sketch one day very quickly and having this incredible insight and, and, and putting it on the page, uh, and I am moved by it. And, you know, having this drawing, drawings are such a, a, a personal reflection into the artist's process, into their creative process. And seeing the, the sketch, every, you know, harsh line, you know, the points where it's, you know, really concentrated and defined and the subtleties of the spaces that are, you know, are, are left with this fineness. I, it's just beautiful, beautifully done. It's haunting. It's it's painful. But you know, even her her reaching out that that longing. Yeah. You're seeing this this tender moment. Um, yeah, she's doing a lot with very little here. Mm -hmm. Like there's so right. few. Like I, when you were talking about the perspective of of being from the tree, I started looking more to the background at that point and realizing like, oh yeah, she's even kind of giving us just enough like of this sort of tree line in the mm -hmm. background that makes us feel like we're up higher mm -hmm. and, and looking down and you know this line that just becomes this like right. wow like yes. I mean it's just nothing like but it's it's so elegantly made I, I know she's done some some other works that are do feel like this really expressive mark making yes and it's so different than what I think you're used to seeing of her and what maybe you know she became really famous for, which is there's so no expression in those like cutouts right, in, in, right. The, in the black and white stuff. And, you know, they're so precise. Like, so it's just so interesting to see that she can do this and that this, mm -hmm. she, you know, this is a part of it that there's this really expressive. Yeah, there's confidence. an energy. Yeah, yeah. the energy yeah. is palpitating. And in fact, when you were talking about the work tugging you, yeah. I thought that is yes. exactly my experience of this. Every time it just it pulls, pulls you me closer, you know, and looking at it now, I'm like, she looks to be an extension of the tree. You right. know, you don't really see where the tree ends and she begins. And, you know, mm. even her arm reaching out mirrors, it's in the same the, yeah. positioning as the yeah. branch. She's kind of morphing them into um, oneness. Yeah, and her, I mean, the way she draws that body is so good. And just the, the arm and... And the face, like, again, just doing so much with so little, so like, much. you know, it's so emotional and, and there's something almost like, almost like a Disney kind of quality to the face. And I say that not in like mm -hmm. a derogatory way, but in a way of like being incredibly good at ex communicating expression, you right. know, like, in, in, especially in a moment where you don't actually see much of the face at all. Like, right. You don't see her full face and yet you feel her sorrow. Right. Yeah. And even just that hat on her head feels, again, such a tender detail. Yeah. Um, it, that's it, it, she is a sweet child in deep desire, deep wanting. You have the line here and the, the sketchiness of the branches, and then turning that crayon or whatever on its side to at the very top. Like, to and get, it's a very yeah. different type of mark making that's happening mm -hmm. up there, but it's just such a nice balance, especially I like that with this quick line and the then. The, the roughness of all of the, mm. the mark making that kind of pulls all of the subject matter forward. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we see that like quick 
down there in the the trees as well or on the road i'm sorry yeah it's a, there's a fury in this yeah and uh, how she's put it together well trudy what was your favorite piece that you wanted to talk about um so we can move down the gallery and and look at snared which i think is a kind of a, wonder, a wonderful foil or a nice contrast um, to the drawing, mm -hmm. um, as it also depicts a noose, um, but in a completely different context. Yeah, yeah. Um, so here we see a gentleman um, with the noose in each of his hands, um, and he is using all of his strength and might to to bring down the tree, you know, this, this source of his destruction, you know, and I think there's the beauty in that reclamation of his power and he's no longer going to have the, the source of, you know, his demise um, be something that has sway over him. Um, so here we see reclamation. We see, you know, a figure who, um, graceful in stance, you know, his legs are firmly planted like a tree branch, um, but he's extending his arms and reaching as well towards the tree, um, but he no longer is going to be the passive one in this experience. He is actively the protagonist and, and has control and command of the scene. Yeah, and yet he's still snared, right? He's yes. still tethered to this noose, mm. uh, but it's around his calf this time. Mm -hmm. And so you know that no necks are getting cracked. Uh, no body is dying, right? It, uh, even if he somehow lost control in this uh, piece, uh, he still would survive it. And so there's something interesting about uh, the way he's still kind of tethered to this terror. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet there's a triumph to it that you also feel. It almost looks like a web, like a tangled web, doesn't it? Yeah. And now that I'm looking at it, you know, in this viewing, I'm seeing so many parallels with, with lines of his arms and the rope and then the, the ground. So you're seeing these like very, this like kind of stratification um, of lines that Walker seems to be playing with. Um, and even his neck is completely bent at you know an angle that is parallel with the ground with his arm with mm -hmm. the tree branch with the rope and of course this piece is also one of the few in this particular one that inverts the mm. um silhouette, yeah, silhouette. we're used yeah. to seeing the silhouette be uh a black mm -hmm. trace mm -hmm. or you know we, we're used to seeing the silhouette in black mm -hmm. and yet she inverts it into uh, white on a black background, and I like when she I like when she does that and yeah. plays with that and uh, challenges us uh, with what we're seeing and who we're seeing, even with a white body, right, or a black mm -hmm. body. Took me maybe longer than I should have to realize that like what one of the things she's doing so smartly with those silhouettes is like making you realize how many assumptions you make about a person and their mm -hmm. identity based on just, you know, like, again, the information has been removed. Mm -hmm. So you just have the silhouette 
And but yet I feel like we are always pretty aware of the race that she's trying to depict mm -hmm. at each moment. Right. And those sort of stereotypes about like, why do I see this person? Is this like I literally can't see their skin color. Like mm -hmm. I literally can't. So mm -hmm. like the thing that is supposed to be the end all be all <laughs> in this world is like I can't even see it, yet I'm still sort of aware. It's there even without yeah. it being so overt. And I think that's another interesting aspect of, you know, sil her silhouetted form. And we take so many visual cues from reading someone's face. And, mm -hmm. you know, we, we can understand or get an idea of how someone's reacting, feeling, um, and experiencing that particular moment. And even without that ability to see a face, to see an expression of, you know, eyebrows lifted, a brow furrowed, you're still able to kind of tune into that sentiment that they are, they are in in that moment. Um, even without those visual cues to guide you, you still have that innate sense of an awareness of what our protagonist is experiencing in that moment. Mm -hmm. She does talk a lot about when she moved to Atlanta as a girl, uh, that experience where she was forced to have to have her race defined for her mm. by a bunch of the white people. And I, I think she also talks about the black people in the community mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Everyone decided who she was based on her race. And I think that made such a lasting impression on her. And so she's constantly in all of these stories reminding us of how, you know, regardless of who you are, regardless of what happens, we still end up bringing ourselves, just as you were saying, back to this story around race mm -hmm. that was mythology. created for us. Yeah, it's yeah, a mythology mythology. that was created centuries ago, mm -hmm. centuries ago. And yet we're still all uh, snared and trapped in it. Yeah. We like to have that easy way of making sense of someone, to put them into these easy, you know, checkable boxes. And that's, uh, and you can't do that with, with her work. You know, it's, there's too much complexity and, we as human beings are, are too complex to be fit into these tiny little boxes that are supposed to encompass everything we are as a person, distilled to our race. What I was, I, um, I was thinking back to the uh, unreliable narrator quote that mm -hmm. we were talking about earlier, and this piece seems like a great connection to that because, again, we're looking at this scene that's not exactly like a literal history of mm -hmm. anything. But she just, she's such a good artist that she knows how to make a really great image. Mm. And she's like, this is intriguing. Like, this is an intriguing image. And this is sort of getting at something. I think she just is aware when an image is sort of resonating and there's like a sort of like power to it. Uh -huh. And she knows like, well, the, the sort of like reality of it is, is irrelevant that like we've hit on something um, powerful and I think this also goes back to the poetry as well of it like the poetry of the image is working so to me it's like there's something so great about this the pose doesn't actually make sense as far as like what you know you if if it is like a an attempt to sort of pull down the tree in that way like it's not at all how a person would stand but I think she knows yeah but this is a more interesting image like this is a more interesting way of showing that because it's also like you're talking about a sort of triumph. Mm -hmm. It's a more triumphant pose that that you would have than a person who is truly like, obviously you would like face the tree if you were trying to do that. Like, right. you know, like right. the, that's the practicality of it. Mm -hmm. But like, no, no, no. It's like the reality isn't actually important. It's like this is both like kind of triumphant and tragic. 
And it's it's like all of these things. So I think she's just so good at doing that and at capturing it and not getting bogged down in the literalism of things and knowing that like, yeah, but this yeah. is more interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not so much how the, like the literal form, but kind of what that elicits, yeah. like how that makes you feel of seeing a baby walking into a hut that's on fire. Right. You know, it. you can see that that scene is horrific but it's also a, a feeling as well that she's really trying to to hook you with so you know when we were looking at emancipation approximation and looking at the figure like brayer rabbit that appears yeah, throughout yeah. the series and you know i think a lot of people want to make sense of why this character is there at this particular moment like what literally is a rabbit doing here and you know stepping back to think okay maybe it's it's supposed to be representative of, of something else a feeling mm. you know Brayer rabbit is a trickster um so it makes sense you know in in that narration to kind of see this character um pop in and out um and so yeah not always taking things so literally but you know giving it that space that it's not always what you're seeing but mm-hmm. maybe the feeling that is emanating from seeing that image doing something that's so depraved yeah yeah that's that's probably one of my least favorite uh things people do is try to like crack the code of (laughs) art or movies or things like like oh like i I don't want to hear your conspiracy theory about like (laughs) breaking this down into this like exactly one-to-one uh well this represents Mm -hmm. this it's like yeah, I think you're, I, I feel the same way. It's like, well, yeah, but maybe it's just more about it's kind of the, the very big feelings that it's giving you and, and not necessarily like an, a perfect allegory for something else. Right. right. Yeah. And again, just to bring in more poetry when I'm teaching, that's, it's all about what you're feeling. And then that's why I say to keep revisiting it. Because even just right now, we're seeing something new mm-hmm. and we have looked at this piece I mean, I've been looking at it for over a year now, mm-hmm. um, and yet we still can see something new and or have a different experience and have a different emotion with it. Uh, and, you know, again, that's what I'm often telling students with the poem. Rather than trying to crack the code of the poem, uh, be present to it, be present to how you're feeling that poem in your body in that moment, and then go to it again and see what else it reveals. Mm-hmm. So Should we maybe talk about a sculptural piece? Yeah. Or... Burning Village, maybe? Yeah, let's do Should that. We? Let's do that. Yeah. That's a good one. And actually, I'm excited to talk about this one because I don't always know how to talk about it. I know. And I think that's okay. It's okay to not entirely know what's going on in a piece of work. Uh, well, I'll just set up. So, we're, we, uh, we've moved over and we're looking at a piece that's called Burning African Village Playset with Big House and Lynching. Um, and yeah, <laughs> How do we talk like, about what this? What is our entry into this piece? Oh yeah, that's a good point. Like, where do you begin? Yeah. Well, I think we could begin with the title and that idea of playset, knowing that that's a thing that was fascinating to her. The ways that the stories we learn as children do shape the way we end up viewing the world, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I do know she was questioning what would it be like for these narratives around race and gender and our American history to literally be something that children play with. So creating this place that, that you could just imagine kids sitting at a table and, you know, 
like Barbies. Yeah. <laughs> you have Absolutely. moments like Barbie dolls and yet they're on fire. You know, and when you're viewing it straight on, there's no beginning, middle and end. You don't know, am I reading it left to right, right to left? What what exactly is unfolding in this scene? There's a, a lot of chaos unfolding. And, and I think when I first saw this piece, I was, yes, I was immediately drawn in to the whimsy of it, of, of seeing these shapes um, and having that connection and nostalgia to, to a past um, of playing with something similar um, for, uh, you know, childhood sets where you would, yeah, assemble something with a Barbie and, you know, have these characters and dialogue. But when you return to it and then you give it another, you know, long glance, you, you see that even though there's that sense of familiarity there's also this, you know, aversion that's coupled with it. And again, going back to that idea of, you know, the Walker paradox, you have those tensions that are at play here. And you can see, you know, a figure that does look kind of serene and, and beautiful stationed in, in one positioning. And then when you look to her left and to her right, you see a figure running with their hair on fire. Um, so even in this one moment can see beauty, you know, sublimity, and you also see pain and destruction and chaos at the same time. Uh, so Walker, when she first put this piece together, you know, you can look at pictures of how she put it together and see a story that she was telling, but she does also encourage museums that show it to move it around and, mm -hmm. and put it together as you would like. And even some museums will move it around mid-exhibition. Oh, that's so, so cool. One time you see it, it might be one way, and another mm -hmm. time it's another way, which I think is also really great, especially for someone who is so narrative in her work, to really allow you as a viewer to create the narrative. Uh, so there isn't one story, and that's probably why it's hard to know where to enter into it. Uh, but what would, what would happen if... Uh, this man whom we're going to assume is a white man with a flag was over here by the village. Mm -hmm. How would we see him differently if we were to place him there? What's, what story would we end up telling? Which is what, what kids are doing when they're playing with paper dolls or do kids play with paper dolls still? <laughs> <laughs> I loved paper dolls when oh, I was absolutely. a kid. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, when you're playing with Barbies, you're creating your own tales and your own stories. Um, and so that the movability of this is really interesting. Uh, as well as disturbing to think of kids playing with uh, some of these images. Yeah, but it's like it's like then it makes you also go like, well, what what are are the disturbing things that we were taught? You know, like right. what were the sort of disturbing messages in the things mm -hmm. we watched and consumed and played yeah. with as kids? It's like obviously over the top, but it also makes you think of that. And then another angle too I was thinking about as we've been looking at it is it makes you also think about the way people's lives are played with as well. And like how this is a play set to somebody, but the people in it are on fire in some cases. Like, you know, it, it, there's a lynching, like there's all of these horrible things. And you're kind of asking, mm, but who's who's playing? Who's, mm -hmm. whose play set is it? Who gets to like kind of move the figures and who gets to put the things in motion, it kind of makes you think of like, you know, the gods on Olympus sort of deciding your fate. And right. that's like this kind of, oh, this, this is eerie. Eerie. 
Uh, I really like Grimm's fairy tales. Mm. And uh, one of the most inspiring Grimm fairy tales as far as my own writing goes is called How, Ch- How Some Children Play at Slaughter, which is as terrible as it sounds. You know, we hear about a lot of the Grimm fairy tales and they have happy endings, but uh, so many of them are very disturbing. Um, and, and I think about that piece a lot with this. Uh, just these young kids who uh, end up doing this terrible thing but they think that they're playing mostly because they're, you know, it's the butcher's child. And so he's mm. doing what he sees his father doing. And it, it actually inspired a poem that I wrote uh, about one of my first experiences with discrimination on my first day at, at a new school in first grade when a little girl told me that black children could not get on the jungle gym. And so I was six years old and this was told to me. And, and so I called that poem, How Some Children Play at Discrimination. But yeah, we're doing this, right? We're doing this work uh, with our young people. They're watching what we're doing, and then they learn these stories. This is this is kind of also making me think of something else. When I was describing to you earlier my failed attempts to explain the work of Carol Walker to a group of teenagers <laughs> last night, <Yeah. laughs> and 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 I think there's a point where like when you're you're trying to sort of like set up the work, and it can become like so like sort of dour or like it can end up sounding like a real bummer and then i was like but it's also like playful and and then like and then as soon as i said it i was like is it like i don't know but like i feel like the work is playful she's cheeky yeah we talk talk a lot about that it that is absolutely part of the experience that she's playing with um, and bringing you in and you you see one thing and then you see that okay there's humor here as well you know in her inversions, um, which it is just such a mastery. Yeah, I mean, it's gallows hum- humor, but it's humor. Like, and, then, and so it's like, yeah, you don't ever like forget. Like, yes, it is incredibly dark, but she's using caricature and, and stereotype, and, and and I don't know, and maybe that's why I love this work so much. Is like that a lot of my favorite things are both like funny and scary mm-hmm. and like repulsive and alluring, like. It's all of this like yin and yang that's like pushing mm-hmm. and pulling. Maybe I can tell the way she makes things also. I can tell like she takes great pleasure in like <laughs> making like and I get it. There's mm-hmm. a certain like, yes. oh, yes, like I can tell like, oh, this was fun to make. Like, She's an her. artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who loves the work and is enjoying her work for yeah. sure. Right. She's going to take you on a journey. Yeah. 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 You know, a little bit history, a little bit satire, a little bit. uh not taking yourself too seriously and a little bit of really serious about yeah things. you can have a smirk you can yeah. like you you laugh you have you you have that that ability is still here yeah um and she is creating that um kind of full experience for the visitor um so you you can laugh you can cry you know nothing's off the table and nothing's wrong There's no wrong way to experience her work. Mm -hmm. You know, in fact, if one of your reactions is humor, lean into that. What is, you know, follow that as a means of introspection, you know, peel that back. Yeah, We have, you know, placed in the exhibition, though, space for people who do need to really take a break and rest. Mm -hmm. But uh, because we do recognize that while some people can be in the humor and maybe in the flow of it. Some yeah. people will need to you know, back away. Mm-hmm. And get, yeah. And, get and I mean, quiet. again, 
a lot of the, yeah, the subject matter is very traumatic absolutely. and yeah. there's, there's a, viol and a lot of violence, violence. And, yeah yes. i mean so absolutely but i also feel like i don't know like i feel like right. there's something welcoming also about this work at the right. same time and i don't want to make people think it's like not oh. at all friendly because mm -hmm. i do think it is sort of like friendly work in the way that it is fun to look at i mean it's it's a spectacle Kinda. like this you there are that is that part of it yeah. you know you as participant as the you know, observer in this panoramic experience you know it is a type of a, a spectacle i hope that people do have their own experiences in this space i hope uh, that people feel cared for mm -hmm. as well as willing to uh, yeah, willing to see the motion and the movement and the play and mm -hmm. feel all of the emotions throughout this exhibition. And hopefully it just draws them to want to know more about Kara Walker's work. Yeah. And to return to it, you know, the exhibition just opened. Come back in a month and, and experience again and you'll see something different. You'll, you know, you'll feel something different. Um, and I think that's the beauty of uh, this exhibition is is each time you're engaging um, with her art, um, you leave with a different impression um, and different questions to ask yourself. All right. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thanks for having thank us, you. Russell. Yes, sure. so great. Thank you for listening to Art Palace. We hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have conversations about the art yourself. The museum is currently open, but please visit our website for the most up-to-date information about operating hours and museum policies. Current special exhibitions are Kara Walker, Cut to the Quick, and Simply Brilliant, Artist Jewelers of the 1960s and 1970s. You can follow the museum on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we also have an Art Palace Facebook group. Our theme song is Offrande Musicale by Bacalao. And as always, please rate and review us to help others find the show. I'm Russell Eyrig, and this has been Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum. <laughs>